following episode was written, researched, and recorded between 10, 10 a.m. Eastern on February 12th and around midnight Eastern on February 14th as part of the WTS 48-hour challenge. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. Actually, Brett, this week we are exploring self-acceptance through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. And we are joined by two Lisas, Dr. Lisa Firestone and Lisa Jacob, who both stepped up on short notice to help us tackle this 48-hour challenge. I'm Nick Jaworski. That guy over there is... I want to say Schmet Fina? Come on, Nick! You know my name! Anyway, let's start the show. Here's where I think I would start. The thing for me about self-acceptance was that for a long time, I thought that self-acceptance was the end of something. And I think what I finally realized is that self-acceptance is the beginning of something. There was a point in your life where you, yes, you, felt total self-acceptance. You acknowledged and accepted all aspects of yourself, and you didn't need to be any different than you already were. You were the fastest, the slowest, the strongest, the weakest, not because you compared yourself to others to determine that, but because you didn't compare yourself at all. You allowed yourself to be who you were, and you loved that person unconditionally. You felt free. You felt powerful. You felt whole. There was nothing to fix. You were just you. That was each of us at one point in our lives. We mastered self-acceptance with zero effort, and we were masters of it for years. Unfortunately, those were only the first few years of our lives. For most of us until we were about four or five years old, when our meta self-awareness kicked in and we started to become more self-conscious and less self-accepting. And we lost it. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! But the thing is, We can't go back. We've learned too much. So that beginning of something that Lisa Jacob talked about earlier, it has to be something else. So then we have to grapple with the question, what is this beginning? What possibilities do we open up when we learn to accept ourselves? And to be clear, young children don't truly practice self-acceptance because they don't have the awareness of their environment or an awareness of what their peers are doing. But it's still just nice to know that we start with a clean, self-accepting slate. So our goal of self-acceptance is not only to see our strengths and our weaknesses, our proudest moments along with our most shameful ones, it's to accept all of those equally. Exactly, Nick. Self-acceptance is free of any qualification. Now, there are many reasons to practice self-acceptance. Psychological benefits have been cited as a sense of freedom, self-worth, body acceptance, self-belief, and the willingness to take more risks, just to name a few. And many believe, me included, that your relationship with yourself 
sets the tone for everything else in your life. But perhaps my favorite verbiage that I've discovered in this exploration is from Dr. Nathaniel Braden in his 1994 book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, where he articulates the need to practice self-acceptance as a refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. I mean, don't we have enough obstacles and adversaries in our life to not have to add ourselves to the list? Realize that if you are not accepting yourself, then you are resisting yourself. And that is like being engaged in a tug-of-war match during each waking hour of your days. And perhaps even as you sleep, a constant battle between propping yourself up so much better than these people. Look at her. What an idiot. And beating yourself up. You're such an idiot. Seriously, you're wearing this. Neither of which is acceptance. Uh, well, at least you don't look like him. Yikes. And think of what that costs you. Why can't you just act normal for once? Where in your life right now are you making yourself wrong, bad, shameful, deciding that you aren't who you should be, that a part of you sucks, maybe you even tell yourself you hate it? You are a terrible person. Or perhaps it's more subtle than that. You know, rationalizing to yourself that it's fine, but ultimately chipping away at yourself every day. So what can change for us when we start to find ways to bring more self-acceptance into our lives? That voice you heard right after the theme was Lisa Jacob. If you saw her, some of you might recognize her as a former child actress from Mrs. Doubtfire and Independence Day. But it has been over 15 years since Lisa walked away from Hollywood. And these days, she is a writer and a speaker. And her new book is entitled, Not Just Me, Anxiety, Depression, and Learning to Embrace Your Weird. After years of trying to suppress, deny, and fight against the fact that she struggled with anxiety and depression, Lisa made a decision to start accepting herself. I asked her what the difference was in her life when she started accepting instead of just resisting. I feel like what came into my life in a huge way with compassion. And I feel like I had always been a very compassionate person to other people, to other people, to other animals, to like the tomato that rolled off the counter at the grocery store. And I went to pick it up. Like I was compassionate to inanimate objects, more compassionate than I was to myself. And so that was really interesting to me when I realized the way I talk to myself, oh my God, if I talk to anybody else like that, I, I, that would be horrific. And so I think that I really realized that if I was going to honestly consider myself a kind and compassionate person, I had to turn some of that back on myself. And that was pretty major for me. And it, it helped me 
to then be more compassionate maybe to people that were giving me a hard time or situations that were painful and difficult. And it really helped all around to just help me relax a little bit and, and, and take it easy a little bit on myself and give myself a bit of a break. Self-acceptance is a tough concept because before you can even get to self-acceptance, you have to get to self-awareness. I mean, how can you accept the things you don't even recognize about yourself? But there's this weird, like a gap or a schism, where perhaps the more you look at yourself and the more aware you become of yourself, the more challenging it can be to love yourself. At least that's how I feel. And I don't want to be dramatic about this, but when we ended up with self-acceptance for this 48-hour challenge, my thoughts started to run to these little unexplored corners in my brain. And I had thoughts like, man, you really fucked that up, Nick. Or so-and-so deserved better. Or that was all your fault. Maybe you had that same thought when you saw the episode topic. My inclination is to say that you have to acknowledge that some of those thoughts might actually be true. I probably did that up. They probably did deserve better, and it is my fault. That's awareness, and, and that's no easy task, but you have to be careful. Because even this attempt at awareness can cause you problems. If you keep thinking about the things you've done wrong without learning to just accept those things, then you can internalize all of that into an unfair, negative self-image. We often in psychology call that rumination, where you start thinking over and over again about negative things that have happened or painful things about yourself. This is Dr. Lisa Firestone. She's a clinical psychologist and the senior editor for psycholive.org. And she spoke with me on very short notice about self-acceptance. And what happens with that is it just makes you feel worse and worse. It doesn't lead to any positive outcome. So, you know, when you find yourself circularly thinking over something or going over something that happened, but it's all negative and you're not coming up with any new solutions, then it's probably not helpful. Do something else. Anything else is better than that. Dr. Firestone's research talks about the real self and the anti-self. In short, the real self is what allows you to flourish and find joy, and the anti-self are the behaviors that limit us and provide us with negative thoughts. In her framework, the real self and the anti-self are in a constant battle with each other. So if you care about how you look and you want to um, exercise and feel good about your body, then if you're not doing that, you're probably acting on your anti-self. Now, that could be in small ways, like just skipping a workout here or there, or it could be in big ways, like, uh, you know, giving up altogether on taking care of yourself. You know, that would be farther along that continuum of an anti-self. And I think on any given day, we're more for ourselves or against ourselves. And it's interesting to kind of think about it that way and sort of assess where you are on that continuum. So our goal is to decide which team we're on. If we want a chance to feel content and truly peaceful, then we have to find a way to accept all of the things that make us, us. That's all of the shit that you've done, the good and the bad, and how you think about yourself and what you want for yourself. And once you've done that, then you're in a better position to do the things you want to do and to be the person that you want to be. That can be a very, very scary proposition. So I guess the next question is, how do we get started?
That is an excellent question, Nick. Our listeners asked for this episode, presumably because they want some help with self-acceptance. Well, Brett, if they're anything like me and struggle with this, you know, somewhat regularly, we probably had them at here's. here's. You may be right there, Nick. So what can we do? Well, first off, I want to clarify something. Because I feel that while researching this topic, too often we found people talking about self-acceptance as if it were something you can attain, a destination or a goal. And we'll suggest that is counter to what self-acceptance is. It is a practice. It is not a place or a skill or a what. If anything, it is a how. Self-acceptance is not who you are. It is how you are who you are. And this is the thing, right? You don't just decide, hey, I need to accept myself and be more compassionate towards myself. And then you just do it from then on forever. It is a daily practice. It is something that you need to, I mean, it's a muscle that you need to strengthen because most of us have not used that muscle, maybe ever. Right. And so if you want to strengthen that muscle, we have to work at it. Exactly. If you want something different, you have to do something different. Now, there are obviously many resources out there to help you practice self-acceptance. And most are just a Google search away. Or whatever your preferred search engine is. Why does everyone in this town use Alta Vista? Listener Amy Shamanoff suggested Iskra Lawrence's TEDx talk, Ending the Pursuit of Perfection, where she shares ways to practice self-acceptance in relation to body image. And that's when I was like, come on, Iskra, come on, use that self-care, go, go, go. I brought out my gratitude list. And I want you all to start your own right now, tonight, because it saved me in that moment. Wow. Okay, I discovered on, a TEDx talk by Michelle Sharfin, entitled Unconditional Positive Regard, The Power of Self-Acceptance, where she provides actionable strategies around self-acceptance in parenting. And I would go to the next thought, I'm selfish because of this. And then I would say, what actually happened? I was tired and at my wit's end and had no more to give, okay? And I started reframing everything. And as I did this process, and I would go through for that day. So go and explore for yourself. For our part, we decided to ask both our guests for a practice they could recommend towards strengthening and maintaining your self-acceptance. Dr. Firestone had some great ideas to help us learn to accept ourselves. And I found this particular idea very powerful just because it's so simple and tangible. It's the kind of thing that you can do right now and immediately see the impact. It can also really help to identify what your critical thinking is, because a lot of time it's just kind of rattling around in the back of our heads and we're believing it. But if you kind of draw it out and really sort of let it get on a roll and get to the bottom of it, so just maybe take a piece of paper, put a line down the middle on one side of the paper, write down any negative thoughts you've had toward yourself that day, particularly to do it in the second person. So instead of, I'm no good, or I'm stupid, or I looked like an idiot, it's you're no good, you're stupid, you look like an idiot, to start to separate this very destructive point of view toward ourselves from a more realistic, compassionate point of view. So first of all, putting it in the second person helps. It kind of 
gets you more aware of all these things you're telling yourself that you wouldn't tolerate from anybody else, but we tolerate them from ourselves and we don't get angry back. And the idea is partly to arouse your adaptive anger back of like, wait a minute, it's not okay to call myself a stupid idiot. It's not okay to treat myself like this. And then to write on the other side of the page, a more realistic, compassionate point of view toward ourselves, more balanced, like what you would say to a good friend. And Lisa Jacobs suggested a practice that I myself have done many times in the past with powerful results, though somehow I had forgotten all about it and I haven't practiced it in years. And so for me, this is the one thing that has made the huge difference for me in in this self-acceptance compassion area, which is doing a meditation practice called Metta. And this has been something that I do almost every day. I do meditate every day. Sometimes I do different practices, but meta is kind of my base that I tend to always come back to. And so how it works is that you get comfortable, you sit somewhere or lie down, and then you say some phrases in your mind. And the phrases can, you can mix them up, but the ones that I generally tend to use are may I be well, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, and may I live with peace. And so the way it works is that you say those things for yourself, and then you start saying them for other people. So you move on to Someone that that you love, someone who has supported you, someone who you feel very comfortable with and you go through with them. May they be well, be safe, be happy, be healthy, and live with peace. And then you move on to a neutral person. So maybe somebody that you see at the grocery store, maybe it's your mail carrier, someone you don't have super strong feelings either way for. You run through it with them as well. And then you move on to somebody you have a difficult relationship with. May they be well, be safe, be happy, be healthy, and live with peace. And then to end it, you always bring it back to yourself. So to finish up, may I be well, be safe, be happy, be healthy, and live with peace. And what so many of us find is that It is easier to wish our mortal enemies well than it is to wish ourselves well. A lot of people, I mean, for the first six months I did this practice, I was great at wishing everybody else well. Every time it would get to me, I would cry through it. And what happens is that you get used to this feeling of treating yourself and other people with the same levels of compassion. And it really does make a difference in the rest of the day. You're, you're, just, you're conditioning your brain to be okay with acceptance and compassion for yourself. It's such a simple practice, but I feel like it is incredibly powerful. I mean, it takes two minutes to do in the morning. You can do it while you're brushing your teeth if you need to, you know, like trying to work it into your day so that it just becomes something automatic that you do 
the the ripple effect of that can be something that's that's really amazing. I've I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced that. Now, Nick, I feel like there still may be one elephant in the room. Ah, see? (laughs) I knew it. Because the other thing I came across as I researched this topic was people discussing self-acceptance versus self-improvement. And that sort of brought up some questions I've struggled with over the years. You know, there is this concept that we are enough, and yet we are also trying to be better. And sometimes I've wrestled with how to equate those two ideals. At times, I've even described where there's smoke as a show about how we can be better as human beings. And so again, is there a conflict there? I don't know. I mean, maybe we need to go back to the beginning. Here's where I think I would start. The thing for me about self-acceptance was that for a long time, I thought that self-acceptance was the end of something. And I think what I finally realized is that self-acceptance is the beginning of something. So what I mean by that is I thought for a long time, I can't accept myself the way I am. Because what does that mean? That means I'm just kind of becoming a doormat and I'm lying down and saying, well, this is just the way I am. So it's fine. And it's got to be this way for the rest of forever. And what I realized is that in not accepting myself and specifically for me, that had to do with many different things, but the thing that I was most trying to avoid accepting about myself was the fact that I struggle with anxiety and depression. And so I was constantly trying to fight with that and not accept the fact that I'm an anxious person. That's just part of who I am. And so what I finally got to was that self-acceptance actually meant the beginning of looking at that. When I started accepting myself and realizing, hey, I'm just sort of anxious. I have these issues with depression. This is part of who I am as a person. It then allowed me to start looking at that and working on that and actually making meaningful changes. So it was actually the exact opposite of what I thought it was in that it didn't then staple me to this place of this is just who I am, it became a launch point to really investigate what was the truth of what I was experiencing at that time. It's true that accepting yourself as enough then allows you to be enough. You know, the idea that if you have self-compassion, you're going to be easy on yourself and you're not going to care and you're not going to try very hard is actually wrong. You can actually challenge things that you don't like about yourself much better from a perspective of self-compassion and accepting yourself as enough. Because, you know, what's the saying some people say? They say, you better, it's better to be you because everybody else is taken. <laughs> you are who you are. You look how you look. You know, you feel how you feel. You're good at what you're good at. But you can 
really look at that and challenge yourself and be who you want to be by your behavior if you're willing to look at it. But if you are desperately trying to feel good about yourself and basing your judgment of yourself on your last achievement or failure, then you can't really afford to look at some of the more painful things or negative things because you're too defended. So actually self-compassion is a way to then be able to be your best self. Imagine a world where everyone loved themselves. Where every human being on the planet embraced who they are, accepted who they are. Imagine a world where you did, where you could turn down the overly critical voices in your head and stop the constant tug of war. That world exists, but there is no magic wand to bring it to life. The wand, sorry to say, is actually work. And the work has to be done by us, by each of us, if we want a chance to accept ourselves. And so I think there are a ton of reasons to not do this kind of work. I think there are a lot of ways to avoid it. I mean, that's what Netflix and beer is for. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can uh, distract yourself and, and, and do other things and, and be okay with, um, you know, with, with the things that the way they are. And, and if you're good with that, then like you're good with that. And there's nobody who can tell you like you have to change and, you know, damn it, you have to accept yourself. Well, no, you actually don't. But if you want to do the work, it's some of the bravest work you can do. I mean, dealing with yourself, that's massive. That takes courage, that takes guts. Um, and it's really difficult. It's going to be exhausting and it's going to be absolutely 100% worth it. I want to thank Lisa Jacob for taking time to speak with me on such short notice for this episode. I was actually introduced to Lisa last summer by Lulu Miller, who many of you know from Invisibilia probably, as well she was on our Let's Go Exploring episode on curiosity. Uh, and so thank you, Lulu. And you know, from when Lisa and I first spoke, I was so hoping we'd have an opportunity to eventually work on a show together. And I'm so glad that she was a part of this show. You can find more information about Lisa at lisajacob.net. She has a new book out called not just me, anxiety, depression, and learning to embrace your weird. It is a fantastic book for anyone out there who has struggled with anxiety or depression, which let's be honest, is probably most of us. Uh, she also has a memoir called You Look Like That Girl. She does workshops and many other things. So all the info on Lisa can be found at Lisa Jacob, L-I-S-A, J-A-K-U-B dot net. And again, I'm just so grateful to Lisa for taking the time and thrilled that she was on the show. And I would like to thank my own Lisa from this project, uh, Dr. Lisa Firestone, for I had no relationship with her before, for getting back to me so quickly about this episode. And she was so understanding 
of sort of the exploratory nature of our conversation and helped me to really understand some of the concepts. She's a practicing clinical psychologist in the Los Angeles and Santa Barbara areas over in California and is the director of research and education for the Glennon Association. So if you want to learn more about her or her work, you can visit drlisafirestone.com or read some of her work at psychalive.org, where she is the senior editor. So thanks, Dr. Firestone. All right. So here we are. I'm here with Nick. Nick, say hi. Yo. Yo. So Nick, 48-hour challenge. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Now, before we talk a little bit about how we did it, I just want to give a huge thank you to all the listeners, to everyone out there who contributed words, uh, either on Facebook or we had a couple people email us. Uh, I want to give a hat tip to Dennis Yip and Libby Downing. Okay, they're, they're the two people who both listed self-acceptance as their suggestion. So without you two, Dennis and Libby, everyone would have listened just listened to a very different show. So thank you for your suggestion for very specifically bringing this show to life. So And who, but didn't, we also got some research assistance. We did. Yes. Thank you. I mentioned her in the show because she's yeah. the one who g- gave us a TED talk. Amy. Uh, but uh, yeah, Amy Sheminoff. Good job. I, I believe I pronounced that He is, he is not looking at any notes. Nope, so that's no, no notes. No, Amy, thank you so much. She was, she was very active during our uh, Facebook live. So, so we did it, Nick. Yeah. And not only did we do it, but it was a 48-hour challenge, and we did it in... I already forgot. 38. 38. <laughs> 38. Okay. From, from the moment we got the topic, researching, conceiving, writing drafts, we reached out to multiple people for interviews. We got yes. two interviews. We recorded those interviews. We transcribed them. We weaved them into a story. We finished the script, and we recorded it in 38 hours, and that includes about seven hours of sleep each, I think. Well, and I, I think it's worth noting... Because some episodes sort of come fully formed in terms of like the the content itself dictates the style. Yeah. But this was an episode that coming into the second day was totally reformatted several times. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter so, of fact, the interview with Lisa Jacob I did was at 8.30 a.m. on the second day. So that greatly – so you think about it, that was really sort of 12 hours from that interview and being done to the show was done. And as you just heard, Lisa's a – big part of it. So we, we changed a lot for sure. I'm, I'm impressed, Nick. I mean, I'm really, <laughs> no, I am like, I'm, I'm genuinely impressed with us. Cause I think it's not only do I think we did it, I actually think it's a really good show. Well, you know, hopefully, you know? hopefully people enjoyed it, but here's, here's the question. Yeah. Should we just do this all the time? <laughs> like, is this, is this the, is this the way? Cause look, people we've talked about before an episode of where there's smoke takes somewhere between 20 and 30 hours, sometimes more if you, uh, that's, yeah. Right, and we have different roles in this, and sometimes we're the same, and all this stuff, and we're going back. So to just be able to say for two days, I'm not thinking about it at all. Yeah, and then to just do it, and then to be done. I don't know. There, that so is I'm an a pro- appealing I'm, idea. I am a proponent, Nick. I mean, I was just talking about this earlier today with someone that, from start to finish, from the moment I start a show to the moment it's recorded. It's very stressful for me. I have a lot of anxiety, and you know mm-hmm. this. So, like, if I'm working on a show and it's fr- and it's sa- it's Friday and the weekend comes, even if I'm not working on the show all weekend, I'm thinking about it all weekend. So, to me, the idea of condensing that sort of pressure that I put myself under into two days and just being done with it, the only negative I can think of is we've talked about this: the fact that there is something to be said for the gestation period of creativity. Yes. So, I think with more difficult topics, I think the advantage with this topic was it was something that. Both of us had a lot of thoughts on it's self-acceptance. We all think about this if you think about sort of how to be better and how to live sort of who you are. So I think we had sort of a lot of thoughts in it. And then frankly, we got two really great interviews 
Yeah, we did. I mean, we lucked out. I couldn't believe it. I mean, so uh, I had never even spoken to Dr. Lisa Firestone. And yeah. so to have it get an email from her in like an hour was like, let's talk in four hours. It was crazy. Uh, so well, here's what I want to say. Here's, here's a, a thing. Okay. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Should we just do another 48 hour challenge this season? I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking it's very likely because it was really fun. We got a lot yeah. of great suggestions. And to be fair, I also think, Nick, I know this, you feel the same way. It, it makes me happy to know we made a show that someone who listens to our show asked for. Like yeah. we know that th- this is not something people are going to, we at least know two people are going to go, yes, I wanted this show. <laughs> right? yeah, this is what I asked for it yeah. and I got it. So I think we sort of know what March is going to be, but then we've got two more months, April and May. So we've probably got four shows that are sort of, who knows? I'm we've not supposed to another 48 we, we, hour yeah. challenge. You know, the, the thing, what might be nice is, and this is in the weeds and we need to move on because this is already yeah. too long, but might be nice would be to do the 40-hour challenge idea and then get the interviews, but then don't do the show. So then we, we buy ourselves some time. Right. By like, we'll just, so we've got like a week to get interviews and stuff, but we're not doing any of the work of the show until Monday, Tuesday or whatever it is. Yeah, that's And that, that, there's a workaround to kind of get the best of both. Well, now that we've proven we can do it in 48 hours, everything else is just gravy. I feel like, I, I felt, I don't know about you, but I felt like we had to go back and prove it because we... I was I'm a little competitive and I was oh, yeah. I was no, upset. Last year sucked or yeah, whatever that yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> all right. So, so thanks uh, everybody for for your suggestions and all those topics that are there. Uh, this happened last time. We're like, yeah, we really wanted to hit some of those topics. They might be, end up being shows anyway. And uh, yeah, so make sure yeah. you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, all the places. I just so want to say we're accepting we again. virtual high fives, fist bumps, anything you want to give us for yes. completing this challenge. Thanks. Hey guys, here is an abbreviated version of WTS Digs. I'm saying that out loud as a reminder to Brett and I. Brevity. <laughs> uh, and here's why. WTS Digs is the part of the show. We tell you about things. Brett, what do you want to tell us about? What are you digging? So I am digging a movie. Okay, I watched this recently. I immediately texted it out to a whole bunch of my friends and was like, oh my God, you got to check this out. I didn't, I didn't get a text, Brett. No, because I texted it out to my married <laughs> friends, which will make sense in a second. Because the movie is called Band-Aid. Okay, and sort of the byline of the movie, it's about a couple who can't stop fighting and they embark on a last ditch effort to save their marriage by turning their fights into songs and starting a band. And it's a great little indie movie. It got a lot of buzz, I think, at, at, at some of the indie film festivals last year, 2017. It is written, directed, and it stars a woman named Zoe Lister-Jones. Incredibly talented. Some of you people out there might know her. I think she's on a show called Life in Pieces. She's she's written and directed a few other movies. And then the other half of the couple in the movie, Nick, is Adam Pally, who was Max on Happy Endings, a show that was, you and I show. both great love. Show. And then the third sort of main cast member is Fred Armisen, who is awesome. And he actually plays drums in the movie, and you know he's a musician. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if, if Zoe and Adam also play their instruments for real. They definitely sing for real. And the mm. songs are awesome. They're so great. Like, really, really, like, not even, I'm saying, like, you know when you see a movie about music and the songs are like, eh, that's not real? Yeah, sure. The, these songs are great. Uh, you can even get an EP of all the songs on Spotify. So, it's called Band-Aid. I know it's available on Netflix in Canada. It may be available internationally, but it is not on Netflix in the USA. But you can get it on iTunes. It's on Showtime, apparently, so you might be able to get it on demand on Showtime. So just go find it. It's worth it, especially if you are someone who's in a relationship and been in a relationship for sort of two years or longer and sort of know the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows. I, I think it, you'll not only be entertained, but you'll sort of walk away with maybe even a little uh, couples counseling. So Band-Aid is the movie. Uh, Nick, what are you digging? This week in 
connection to our topic of self-acceptance and which is generally about not hating yourself or recognizing your circumstance or whatever i'm recommending a song a song i've known for a while it's a song called i smile by kirk franklin and without fail any time that i have sent this to somebody they have at least gone this is a great song they've at least done that um i would say the majority of the time when i've sent it to people who i felt like needed it I have gotten like somebody sent it to somebody at work and they were like, Oh great. Now I'm crying at work. Like it is mm. just a song that it is. It, it acknowledges that sometimes things can be really bad. And there's a problem that some songs or some things are like, it's not that bad. It's yeah. saying like, no, guess what? Like sometimes things get really hard, but I do this thing. I smile and it's really encouraging people to sort of accept themselves, accept their circumstances. Um, it's so pretty. I mean, it's just like, it's not even, it's a, it's a jam, but yeah. it's pretty in thought. Well, you know, in a callback to one of my former digs from a while ago, it sort of sounds like to me that I smile as your Mr. Happy. I don't know if you remember. My, <laughs> I, I remember I, I was there for Mr. Happy. Yeah, I, know Mr. Happy. I will. I'll send uh, Mr. Mr. Happy to never people. made me cry. But no, similar. he doesn't make you cry. But he, but he, I sort of send him the people to for a reason. Yeah. So um, if I can put in a quick sort of little a connected plug here, Nick, this year on Spotify for fun, I'm creating a playlist where I'm adding a single song every day. So if you look me up on Spotify, Brett Gaida, uh, it's called 2018 Song a Day. And on the day this show releases, just on the... So today. I, today, I've decided I'm going to add I Smile by Kirk Franklin as my song of the day. So and you haven't even heard it. I haven't even heard it, but I just know. <laughs> I just know it's going to do what you said it was going to do. Yeah, so so go look up that song. Go find the playlist on Spotify. You can look at our show notes. It'll be on our Facebook page. Or you can just go to YouTube and type in I Smile Kirk Franklin and uh, be prepared. Just be right prepared. on. So as always, we say this all the time. And, you know, again, we accept you for who you are, listeners. But that doesn't change the fact that we also would love you to share digs with us more. Because we want to know what you're digging. Movies, TV show, music, food, whatever. Uh, you can go on Twitter, on Facebook, or go to our website, and leave a voice memo and actually tell us what you're digging. And the cool thing about leaving a voicemail is likely we will play it on the show. You'll be literally on WTS Digs. You'll Nick be famous. You'll be famous pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So and plus, as Nick has often said, we just love getting voicemails. Yeah. Or, the best. They, they make us feel better. So we want to hear from you. And that's all I got, Nick. Thanks. All right, so here we are at the credits. And I know that at this point, it's the real diehard fans that are still with us. The ones who know that every episode of Where There's Smoke ends with a final clip, which Nick and I actually refer to as the final, final clip. And you want to hear that clip. Plus, you know, at the very end, I'm going to tell you that I love you. And so you're here. You're the, you're the diehard fans. And so let's get real for a moment. I got to ask you, do you support the show with a donation each month? And if not... Would you consider that? I mean, if you want us to jump through hoops, well, we just researched, wrote, and recorded an entire episode from an audience suggestion in 48 hours. Actually, in 38 hours. I mean, what more do you want from us? 
So seriously though, we, we really need to figure out how to keep this thing going and your pledges can really help us do that. So if you feel we're worth you know $5 a month or whatever, just go to supportwts.com and pledge a monthly amount. It will make a massive difference and know that we just invest all that money right back into the show. All right, so what else we got? Oh, you got a podcast? You want to make one? You want it to sound awesome? Look up Nick at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me come out and speak or work with your organization, go to brettgaida.com and reach out to me for a conversation. Now, in these credits, Where There's Smoke, the show, wants you to know that it is here to be of service to all its listeners. It also wants to declare that it fully accepts, embraces, affirms, recognizes, supports, and surrenders to the show that it is with no apologies to anyone, even the Where There's Smoke team of me, Brett Gaida, Nick Jaworski, Teresa Ward, Kristen McMullen, and Dylan Davis. Our podcast cover was designed by Sam Goff with a season four redesign by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. And speaking of music and speaking of Nick, Nick Golis, what other artists were featured in this show? This week we had music from Andy Cohen, Lee Rosevere, Mads, Chris Zabriskie, and of course, Kevin McLeod. And lastly, remember that you have to do the work. There is not some sort of audio osmosis here where just listening to this show will shift your relationship with yourself. So we encourage you to go out there and apply what you've learned and take some action so you do not end up living as your own worst adversary. Piece of sh- Stupid piece of sh. You're a real stupid piece of sh. But I know I'm a piece of sh. That at least makes me better than all the pieces of sh who don't know they're pieces of sh. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time.